to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Good morning, and uh, hope you're doing well. We are going to be in uh, John 15. If you want to turn your Bible there, they'll be up on the screen. Um, we're going to be looking at John 15 mainly. Um, it's hard for me to... Uh, uh, go through these series like this. So when you get an Advent, um, looking at those four weeks, uh, four to five weeks, however many Sundays. And so it's beautiful stuff, but just piecing them together. And then also in January, trying to um, uh, bring this idea of kind of thinking through a new, a new start or um, assessment and um, what matters most in our lives. Are we pursuing those things? Um, and so then when you're trying to find some chair passages that would lead to make that one of the ideas that you're wanting to bring up, um, it's hard not to just camp out and go really, really slowly on some verses. So it feels like like John 15, you could spend easily six to eight weeks just on John 15. And so to try to go through a lot of it in um, just you know one, one sermon, uh, bringing out some of the, the, the big pattern things that you see in it, it's, it's really difficult. Kind of you feel like you're skipping over. So um, we're going to hit on that today, looking at this idea of um, uh, abiding is the main thing. I want you to think through that. Just um, to start out, just I want you to think through um, the idea of abiding. So what would abiding with Christ look like? And I'm assuming in that, that, that we have a picture in our mind of what abiding with Christ would look like and what that would look like for our lives. If I started abiding, because right, most people kind of struggle with, with man, I'm not spending, they struggle with the idea of quiet times. I'm not in the word enough. I'm not studying enough. And even people who are like really OCD rigorous with it, that you still ask them like, well, yeah, I'm doing it. And I do it really, really in depth, but I'm just not close to God, or I'm not feeling close to God, or I'm still struggling with sin. And so there's always this thing. And then there's the, the category of people who just really struggle finding time to pray, finding time to be in God's word, finding time of, of silence and solitude to, to, to really um, be able to spend some time uh, contemplating what, what are the scriptures reflecting. It's a mirror of God's Word, and when I look in that mirror, I've got all these tanglies, I've got all these um, attachments to me that shouldn't be there. When I look at the Word, this is what it would look like to be conformed, and yet I'm misshapen. So now it takes time to think through that and to, to repent and, and to cry out for God to God for help. And so um, uh, we're going to look at the idea. So what does abiding with Christ look like? Walking with Him. Think through, what would it be like if Jesus was on the earth right now? What, what would it look like for you walking with him? What would that look like? Uh, listening to his teaching, sitting at his feet, and, and really enjoying the person of Jesus. Not, not, not Christianity, our idea of Christianity, not even our idea attached to that of where well, you go to church and you try to keep all these moral rules and you, you don't want to cuss, you don't want to steal, you don't want to you know, do these bad things. But, but aside from that, like, would you enjoy the person of Jesus? Sitting at his feet, smiling, enjoying, walking with him. And what if, in walking with him, he leads you to some places that you really would never have chosen to go? And so um, I hope we get through that today. 
So we're, we're in this idea from, from going from Advent, spending a, a month looking at his first coming, but connecting this idea, we know that that was not all. His first coming, uh, we, we realize that the whole purpose of his first coming was that there's going to be a second coming. And the second coming is for those people who understand and are saved through his life, his perfect obedience, his death on the cross, resurrection, and his ascension. So the ascension was not the end, right? And so we're still waiting. So we find our lives in between those two places, his first advent, and now we're awaiting his second. And we should be having a heart and growing and understanding to where this is a practice round. This is an on-ramp to where we're learning how living in righteousness and holiness is. Now, it's never going to be the same, and you probably don't want to get to the point where you feel like, I, I really feel like I'm there, Sankey. Like, remember there were some uh, early Wesleyans that had a, 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 theory, a theory or a doctrine of perfection that was wrong. That They thought, on this earth, you can get to the place where you're perfect, no longer any sin. And so that, that's not right. But, but we should be striving towards that. We should be striving for obedience. We should be having our hearts and minds towards that. But our lives um, are in this place. And so I had that, that slide again, that lifeline, um, just that idea. So I have those, those two lines there of looking at, um, is life about me starting this line? Here's my life. And there's this long line. And at the end of it is, is my goals, my end goals for life. And then here, God, now I'm a Christian. God, would you come and make my end goals happen? God, will you come and bless my life? Your role, God, is to, to be the little genie in the bottle, and I'll pray this, and I'll, in Jesus' name, I want you to make this happen in my life to make my end goals come true. So that's one way of looking at it. Um, and then the other one, of course, is the idea of God's bigger redemptive purposes. From, from Genesis to Revelation, we see God's redemptive plan, and then we say it's all about God and his glory and his end goals not necessarily my end goals. So God and his redemptive purposes, that line, now my life, like a little vapor, small little thing, how does it fit into his redemptive goals? So whether you're an adult, whether you're a parent, whether you're single, whether you're a child, whether you're a teen, thinking through, is my life learning to fit into God's redemptive purposes? Does that matter to me? Is that a guiding point in my life? Is, is, is that a God-centered view? that I have, or is it a man-centered, a, a Sankey-centered? So we looked at that, and then we looked at also, we, we laid down this premise looking at Luke 10. And so we're still in this, I, I want to keep this before you, we're still in this idea of, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs purposefully, intentionally. I did this on purpose. I knew this was going to happen in the midst of wolves. In the midst of wolves. Lambs in the midst of wolves. So we looked at that um, premise in, in Luke 10. He said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So we're looking at the idea of how do we navigate this upcoming year with all of the shifts in culture, with all of the things that we see going on around our life, whether it's locally, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's your job, things that are changing and shifting, whether it's our, our community, whether it's the schools that you're in, whether it's the state, whether it's the, the, the national level, whether it's the global level. So how do we navigate spiritually in a world where Jesus said, I'm sending you out as my ambassadors, as my representatives in the midst, purposefully 
in that world of wolves. And we looked at the parable a few weeks ago of, hey, there's going to be weeds and tares among the good harvest. There's going to be weeds and tares. And, and I did that purposefully. Um, so behold, so the church being in this spiritual warfare, and, and I think one of the things that we need to begin to look at and just consider is, is maybe the most dangerous thing is that everyone thinks that they're okay and everyone thinks that they are right. Everyone thinks that they are okay around us. I was driving this morning, driving out of, the, of our neighborhood, and so I'd done a little bit of research on our neighborhood, and, uh, and there's a whole um, ethnicity group that's in our neighborhood for whatever, it's about like 40%. And so I've just been praying for them, trying to meet some of them, and then there's 205 or 206 houses in our, just our neighborhood. And so I was driving this morning, I just did an extra little time just going, like, hey, God, is anyone pursuing you? Is there, is there any lights on spiritually in any of these houses? Or, or is there anyone here that, that, that's crying out to you, that sees their desperate need, that is poor in spirit? Is there anyone here, Lord, that that's, uh, you know, even cares about you, that cares about your things? Now, there may be a handful, a tiny handful, that, that, that go to a building and go to a church, but we, we know that that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And so and that's not what we want here. But, but wanting to see wisdom in an age of confusion wanting to see people that are being you know, just misled by so many different voices. And we looked at that, um, all these changes that happen. And so um, last, and then last week we took that bigger idea of wolf, uh, lambs in the midst of wolves, and we looked at the idea that we need to learn to navigate spiritually. And, and in doing that, there's all kinds of influence. So remember, uh, we looked at that picture that, that many in the church have kind of lost their, their compass um, and we need to think through that we are being trained, we're being discipled, we're being counseled, but where's that coming from? Just like in parenting, like it always shocks parenting classes when I, when I if you had, a, let's, let's say you had a class of 20 parents and you said, how many of you are discipling your children at home or, or, or sitting down and going through the Bible and teaching them things or taking them out onto God's beautiful place and showing them the glory of God, his natural, and, and if, if out of 20 couples, zero raised their hand. Well, then you can turn and tell them, you are discipling them. You are actually teaching them something. You're teaching them that God doesn't have a place or a time in our daily life. That we go to church on Sunday, you better act right. You better straighten up. You better keep these rules. But, but we're not going, hey, he's enjoyable Monday through Saturday. So that's a very common thing. You are teaching them something. You're teaching them that, that it doesn't matter. And so for all the people that, that don't come to church, that would say, no, I'm fine. You know, me and God, I got saved back in Falls Creek in 94, and we haven't been in church since. Like You're teaching and, and directing and guiding and counseling your kids that God does not matter. He's a dot in the universe at best. And so in the same way, the things we're listening to, what we looked at a couple in these last couple of weeks, is you are being discipled whether you realize it or not. You are being counseled and directed, and it comes out in our, our, our actions, the way we treat people, the way we interact with them. It comes in our thinking, affects our thoughts. It comes in the way that our, our emotions and our feelings are, are uh, worked out through that. And so um, many in the church have lost their way um, and so lost their compass. And all these subcamps. 
um, in, in the church nowadays, in evangelicalism. Um, they need to consider how much and who they are being influenced by. And all I was wanting this to do was, is not like, so I have no idea. And I'm, I'm truly, you guys know, I, I got kicked off Facebook for you know, someone hacked my account. So I'm not even on Facebook. I can't even tell what you're doing. So I don't know anything that any of you are doing. And I don't assume that that is us necessarily. But there's lots of books saying the church, here, here's what you're going to. And you're being influenced by these things. And so uh, I just wanted us to step back and just for you to consider, not, not pointing a finger, not trying to blame, not telling you you're pitiful, not telling it's, it's you, Sojourn, but just the church in, in general in America has been influenced. I want you to consider and assess, as we, how can you take, take steps forward with the gospel if, if you're being counseled through fear, through hate, through anger, through animosity, or through apathy? How can you engage with people when, when I hate them? And, and I'm disgusted by them. And, and it's all right to have disgust towards sin, but man, if God treated us that way, he would have never sent Christ. And so we're trying to follow Christ in that. And so um, remember the pyramid that I broke up in, that I brought out? It was the pyramid of Brett McCracken's book, uh, The Wisdom Pyramid. And what that exposes is what he calls this glutton of information right now. There's this glutton of information, so much information, and, and, and the church as well as the world, we're gorging ourselves. We can't get enough of it. And we, we can't get enough. Uh, and he, he brings out that believers do not seem to notice how much it's influencing and affecting us. So event happens on some Capitol Hill in some state, it, Wisconsin. They have a vote and it has to do with uh, their, their public schools or it has a, to do with their, um, their, their public transportation. It has to do with um, Target and Walmart and you know, uh, Amazon Prime. It's a vote in Wisconsin in their uh, appellate court. And it, it now here in Oklahoma, in your job at 8 a.m., you get a tweet. That's it, and it comes up huge. Now this huge thing that's going on, and, and now you're, you're seeing images of it, you're seeing the people striking and protesting, and now you're all caught up in that, and the next thing, now you're listening to those voices, and so they're angering you, or they're frustrating you, or, or, or the, maybe it's, it's getting you to where you just, I, I just can't stand this. And so all these things happen from, from Twitter, from Instagram, from Facebook, from um, all these different places. And, and again, we're... His, in the book, he's not making the point. Therefore, Christians, you need to go and isolate and not have anything like that. But just be aware that if that's hitting you and you're reading those things, all those different things that pop up, those bubbles on your phone or on your laptop, it's affecting you. And you don't realize that when, when they strike with stones and pick up rocks and hit with sticks, hey, Christians, guess what you're doing? You're picking up stones and picking up sticks. You're fighting back the same way that the world fights. And so is that why there's so much more polarization? When the evangelical world, the people that supposedly have this peace from God, there's this love, this grace, and yet I've got a ball bat with spikes in it in my hand. And so I wanted to consider today this idea, uh, going further on this. Uh, Brett McCracken had said that we have flipped the priority order of what's influencing us. So instead of the, the essentials of God's word and, and the church, the body of Christ, that's no longer the biggest influence. It's those other things at the top of that pyramid. And I had that, that picture of that pyramid, those things at the top of the pyramid that were influencing us so much more. Um, and it leads us to all these emotional places, all these actions and behaviors. 
So if you're just willing to at least humbly admit to, yeah, sometimes I am, it's just just frustration or anger or apathy or distrust or whatever. If you're even just the, the point where you can just humbly say, God, I admit that, um, then that's a great place to be. Um, you might want to consider how much those voices and who they are. So as followers of Christ in a, in a fallen world, we must be a people letting God's word and the spirit along with present participation in the local body that God has brought us to, be much more guiding than, than all these information spaces. And so uh, this morning, if there's the possibility that we've fallen into this glut of info, if so, I, I wonder how it's influenced our reactions and conversations. Um, think through how have outsiders been treated. Think through how have outsiders received the Christian message, or the evangelical presence. What is it that they're getting? What is it that they're getting? Because I think that we know we're right, we know they're bad, we're moral, we're trying to be holy, and I think that we think that's what we're communicating. You just need Jesus. And there's a thousand versions of Jesus out there. So when we're flying our Christian flag, um, sometimes it may be that we've got a knife in the other hand or sticks in the other hand or different things. And so uh, today I'm going to bring out some things um, that, that have been brought up in a, in a book. But I, I wonder, are we being salt and light or are we just kind of sour and dark? Um, are we extending love and peace and grace to a hurting world? Because I, I think that, again, we think that we are. Is that what they're receiving? Are, are we seen as Christ-like, as a faithful gospel presence or viewed as something else? Again, I was talking with two different boys, and so you can be frustrated with something. And so do we just go, hey, listen, I see you doing that. You need to stop that, and you need to do this thing over here. That's just a pagan message. But am I bringing the gospel into conversations to the end and go, hey, listen, and, and, and I see that action. I see what you're doing. And the bigger thing is, is not just this action. I'm concerned about your heart. Where's your heart at with Christ? To, to go from the bad news to the good news. And so if, if we can do that in parenting, if we forget to do that in parenting and we just make it stop hitting your sister, be nice. There's no Jesus. There's no rescue. There's no mercy needed. And so if we forget to do that when we're talking to our own family and forget to extend grace and mercy to them, how much more so from the coworker or the neighbor or the family member or that person that you can't stand on social media? What is the message that they're receiving? Um, if not, is it any, if we're not doing those things, is there any surprise the little fruit that's being seen? Is there any surprise that people just, you know, 50, 60% of people left the church and said, I'm much happier. I'm fine. Any surprise? Any surprise that, that culture isn't being influenced by disciple-making with Christ as the center, that, that just things are so far because the church got away from that from 50, 60, 70 years. Um, so these assessment questions, are we reflecting Christ to the broken world? Are we abiding ourselves? Are we hearing and listening to his voice? Are we a people able to discern his voice in a vast number of voices? Um, and I think that we have a great opportunity. 
I don't think it's doom and gloom and it's just going to get worse and worse. It may get worse and worse as far as the world goes, but it's, it's also a great opportunity. Again, it's not as bad as Corinth. It's not as bad as Ephesus. It's not as bad as Philippi. It's not as bad as many of the places that, that the gospel was going into. Again, these, these first disciples in, in, in Luke 10 there, like, hey, go out to this village in this city. There's no churches there's no Methodists or, or Lutherans or Baptists or Assembly of God. There, there, there's no Presbyterians that you're going to partner with. There, there's no one heard of this. And, and in fact, at that point, there was not even a, hey, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. We've got all that working for us, the, the good news, plus the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just wonder, has the church got away from that? Walking in the power of the Spirit, led through God's Word in our own lives, being a mirror, abiding with Him, and then being that to the world around us. So you guys know in missions, there's a slide I have here. Um, you probably know some of the, the famous story. In fact, the end of the spear is one of the biggest ones. But the end of the spear with uh, Jim, forget his last name. Uh, I shouldn't forget that. But anyway, uh, uh, Jim Elliott. So with Jim Elliott, so remember that group of guys? A lot of people don't know this, but the elders that had sent them off and stuff, uh, Jim and those other guys, they were all excited. Remember, so they, they, they go, they land this airplane, and they're on this uh, area, and it's all these tribal people, and they're trying to get the gospel to them. They knew there was going to be language barriers, and so they're so excited and all these things, and uh, if, you know the story goes bad quickly. And they, they actually, I think they left at one point, and the elders had told, they went back, oh, we're so excited. There's these, these tribal people, and, and they're probably cannibals and all these different things. But um, uh, in that, um, we're, we're so excited. We think we've got an inroad, and, and the, the elders and the, the leadership prayed and said, we don't think you should go back. A lot of people don't know that part of the story. And so then there's letters and letters and letters written back and forth, and the, and the guys just said, no, 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 we're, so, so, we're, we're just going to go, and we're going to go and do it anyway. And so then you meet the end of the spear. And so because there wasn't a lot of discernment, just very zealous, and that's, what, that's, that's good, and God can use even our failures and stuff uh, in that. But in that, one of the things that happened there, and one of the things that happened, I don't necessarily know as far as exactly in that story, but uh, missionaries have seen this to where um, they just take something as simple back then as a Polaroid camera. And they're thinking, hey, these tribals, the, these tribal people have never seen a mirror. They've never seen a reflection except for looking in the water sometimes. So they kind of know what they look like, but they've never seen a picture. So, oh, man, it's great. Let's take a Polaroid picture and in present time, you know, you can snap the picture and then in you know, 20 seconds, it comes out and they would hold this up to them. What, what many, many, many missionaries didn't realize was a, a tribal people that believe in animism and different things about these different gods that are trying to please all these different gods, right? And, and then there's gods over the harvest of their crops. There's gods of rain. There's gods of the sun. Uh, there's gods of their health. There's all these different gods, uh, animals, all that stuff. In the middle of that, there's a lot of belief that, that they're also their souls. They have this understanding that missionaries learn later on. Their souls are kind of this idea of being held, and they know that if they do do these good things versus bad things. And so now here you take a picture and here's this, you know, five foot 10 tribal person and, and you show it to them. In some of the cases, it was funny because they actually had, missionaries had come in and taken a handful, like four of their tribal people to take them to the city and kind of, you know, show them some things. And they, they took a picture of the four that they took and they come back to the tribe. Hey, look, and there's a language barrier, obviously. They're trying to show them, we took them away from you, and things are better for them now. We're getting them clothes. We're getting medicines for them. And they hold up this picture, and the tribal people, all they see is you shrunk our people in this little bitty box. So they don't understand pictures. 
So when they see a Polaroid, they, they believe in head shrinking. They believe in soul shrinking. They believe in souls being captured or people being captured by, by these evil spirits. And here come us proud missionaries. Look, look what we did. And we've got good news. We've got the gospel. That's not what was transferred to them. In fact, many times the missionaries got killed in different scenarios. Uh, and they found out later, like years later, like, why did you kill those first people? They were with us. They were trying to bring the gospel, medications to help your, your tribe live longer, food, resources, all those things. Like, we thought you captured them. We didn't understand a picture. We thought you took the five foot 10 person, shrunk them into this little box that you were holding in, our, in your hand and holding up in front of us, taunting us with that. So do you see there? Sometimes when we're coming with a message and trying to even with, with good intentions and prayer and all this, if we're not careful, even with good intentions and the gospel and hope for them, it's not the message that they're receiving. So um, we're going to see this um, idea. And I want to look at this Tozer quote. Um, look at this. This is a famous one from Tozer. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So that's a pretty grandiose statement. So you, you better back that up when you make one of those huge statements. What, what comes into your mind when you think about God, that's the most important thing about you. Again, that's a pretty deep, big statement. Um, think through last week, your autonomy. Probably some things you knew maybe should do. Did you do them? Don't have to. My autonomy. What is that revealing? My thoughts about this God. How, how big, how deserving, how worthy. Your self-sufficiency sometimes. Maybe it's, oh, I'm doing all these good things on my own. What, what does that reveal about your thoughts about God? Only in the big things will I call on you. Only when crisis hits. And I have no other hope well, then I cry out to you instead of learning to abide and walk with you. Um, what about your secret sin struggles? Is that a high or a low view of God? Your autonomy, is that a high or a low view of God? Our self-sufficiency, high or a low view of God? Um, your fears, your shame, your failures, are those high or low views? So Tozer's thought, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains either high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. So the gravest question for the church body, the, the, the lives, not a, not a building, but for our lives. So what is the, 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 the presentation of God that we're presenting to people? So based off that flowing out, here's some things that uh, we're going to go into today. Looking at this, these six broad views. I want to show you these six broad views from outsiders, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on them, but these have been kind of looked at from 2005 to 2015. And so these are outsiders looking at Christianity, all different parts of the country, you know, tens of thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. They go, hey, here, here's some... Here's some um, categories that, that we see clearly, and we're going to look at those. Um, and, and remember, we're looking at assessment, so that's helpful. But then we're also going to look at the four opportunities on becoming a faithful gospel presence. That, that maybe here's some things that we could change. So I'm going to list them out, and we're going to just barely look at them. But then, um, and, it's, and remember, this is these outsiders' voices. 
And so I'll give us some time. We can get mad. We can get offended. But then we can go to the scriptural hope to overcome these obstacles. So let's look at these. Here are these six things. So the first one, just hypocritical. They say we're hypocritical. That should not shock you, right? Like the lost world and maybe family members. You've heard that one before, right? You're hypocrites. We're sick of Christians. They're hypocrites. The second one is you're insensitive in getting converts. What they mean by that is you really don't genuinely care about me. Um, I found out that the reason that you lived across the street from me for seven years and you never waved at us or you barely had anything to do with us, um, and then when you started this church thing, and now the first you know, month or first six months, all of a sudden now you started like trying to invite us to your Wednesday night gathering thing. Oh, now I have value because I have something that you need. So I didn't matter before, but now you're trying to get us saved. Um, many um, college um, international students go through this. They'll have someone in a college ministry that wants to, you know, kind of, they see them, hey, they're from Japan. They must be lost. They probably worship false gods or, or other religions. Let's sit down for lunch with them. And in 30 minutes time, we're going to share that Jesus died on the cross. You're going to hell. You're a sinner. Now, would you like to pray this prayer after me? And the Japanese students are going, oh, I was so foolish. I, I thought you liked me. I thought I had a new American friend. Now, I think I'll pass on your thing because I do believe in these other things or I don't believe in anything. And then the American students get up and walk off. But they see them sitting down at another, state, another table and another table and another table. And tomorrow and the next day and the next day, they, they never really cared about the person. They were just checkmarking checkmarking, checkmarking evangelism. So they say, a lot of times you're insensitive. You're just trying to get converts. But as soon as someone says, no, I'll pass, or not right now, or I'm not really into that, friendship is ended. So that's the second one. The other one is anti-homosexual. Shouldn't be a surprise also that they would say, man, you you guys are just, you know, closed-minded and anti-homosexual. The fourth one is sheltered. They say, hey, you're just a sheltered group. Um, the, the next one is you're too political. The fifth one is too political. The sixth one is you're just judgmental. And so really, I'm, I'm, even this book, I'm, I'm kind of pleasantly surprised. Like I thought it might be much worse or they may see some things that like we wouldn't be able to see about ourselves. But um, so in that, you can kind of look and go, man, I, I, I see why they're saying that. And I know that we have views on those things, but, but we need to think through how we're communicating that how we're communicating on those different views. So um, along with that, the the things that we have in John uh, 15 is that um, here are these four points that we will look like him when we abide in him. We will look like him when we abide in him. We will look like him when we obey and love like him. And we will look like him when we face, um, so we will face adversity. And then the last one is we will look like him when we listen to him. So let's read those uh, John 15. says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does, does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things that I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So let me pray. Father, we um, know that there is a fallen, broken world. The harvest is plentiful. And yet you have sent us out, believers, as lambs in the midst of wolves. And so we pray for help in, in a world that rejects us and rejects you. God, we, we pray for wisdom and discernment on some of these stances, Father, because we don't want them to reject Christ because we're not presenting Christ. We don't want them to reject Christ, God, because we are presenting just another image of mankind. And so we pray, Father, that you would give us discernment and wisdom as we go through this to see how we can truly abide in you and walk with you and be a faithful gospel presence to those around us. In your name we pray, amen. So um, this idea of we will look like him when we abide in him, he says every branch that... Um, does bear fruit, he's going to prune. So if you go through some pruning, some, some different things, that's part of God's work. And the point of that is it's going to bear more fruit. Um, but in verse 4 when he says, abide in me and I in you, um, is there the chance that evangelicals have been trying to bear fruit by ourselves apart from the work of the Spirit, apart from abiding? So he says, abide in me. And then he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. In that next section, it says that you can do nothing if you're not abiding in me. So uh, the reason I get to this, you shouldn't get upset because where do I get this idea? Because many believers that I talk to, they will admit to, man, I I'm not really spending a lot of time in prayer. I'm not a person spending very much time in the Word. I mean, I read different articles and different, and I kind of jump around, but I'm not a person who's abiding with Christ. I'm not a person who's really going, hey, Lord, show me in the mirror of your Word areas that need to be cut off. Bring conviction. Would you bring these gifts of repentance? I want to take the time to hear from you, to listen, and to be transformed. So, so I'm not doing that. We'll start with that. But I can tell you my stance. Wisconsin's voting on abortion. They're, they're voting on this. They're voting on... And they're, they're saying, man, we get your point. And I think Jesus would be saying, so you're doing this stuff outside of the vine. Yes, you have a Christian t-shirt on. Yes, you may be a believer at heart. You're a true believer. But, but what you're revealing to the world is not Christ. It is not, hey, my message is of hope and grace and love, and it's found in Christ. I completely understand why you think that, that your rights are the greatest thing, but I want to show you a bigger picture. I want to show you a bigger picture of why that doesn't work out. And you, whatever that, that would be, walking them through that. Um, if we're 
not operating that in that, then what are we operating out of? And sometimes I feel like it's just a fleshly attack. Is there the chance that for many, in giving themselves over to being discipled and directed by these various voices, it's led to affecting our heart, our mind, our actions, uh, this frustration and angst and, and, and all those things that come out. Um, we, we, we respond in the same way that they're fighting. Whether it's on social media, we're, we're just attacking back and smart eloquently wanting this guy, Ben Shapiro, to stand up for us. By the way, he's a Jew. He's not pointing people to Christ. He's pointing to your stance. And, and I'll tell you, I know tons of Christians that they want to wear that shirt and stand behind Ben Shapiro more than going, God, I pray for him. He's not got my answers. He's pointing to Christ. That's a social thing they're talking about. The answer for them is Christ or whoever that is. There, there could be a thousand of those guys just see him popping up. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, and, and I think we're, sometimes we're going, oh yeah, we can. Oh yeah, we can. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. So when the lost culture picks up sticks and bricks and words and hate, do we fight back with the same thing? And Jesus is going, it's not bearing fruit. Remember what I started out with? If you were walking with Jesus here, if Jesus was walking with you, is that what he would be communicating? Would he be jumping into that line of fire? Would he be picking up sticks and rocks to throw back because a rock got thrown at him? What would Jesus be doing? What does abiding look like? I think we have a picture in our mind, an image in our mind of what abiding looks like. If we pause and we slow down, think through walking with Jesus, time listening, enjoying sitting at his feet, listening, taking time for the Spirit to speak. Do you have time for that? And if you go, no, I don't, then you're not abiding. And so the rest of John 15 just doesn't apply. Um, our view of abiding, it tends to be this for a lot of people. I've got to do all these things right. If I do all these things right, and if I do all these things right, and I do all this right, I get it all right. And then the great thing about abiding, what do you get at the end? What's your reward? If I do these things, if I get all these things right, the reward of abiding, then I'll be protected from bad things hitting my life. And that's just a uh, file two in the prosperity gospel. Abiding means that God won't let bad things happen to me. To take the picture of Jesus saying, hey, take my yoke. So remember what a yoke is, oxen, two oxen, those two big wood planks, that, that's, and your head's in one, you know, kind of like a guillotine thing, and then Jesus is in the other, and he says, take my yoke upon you. So instead of being heavy, you're walking with Jesus cultural things going, and you, you want to respond like, but here's what I've been doing, picking up a rock to fight. And Jesus is going, take my yoke upon you. Walk, just walk. But I thought that this wouldn't happen. I thought that if I, if I got in this yoke with you, I thought that if I, I got in here and walked with you, that this, these things wouldn't happen to my family. These things wouldn't happen to my kids. These things wouldn't happen to my life. These things wouldn't happen to my job. He's going, just, just abide. Just abide. Because see, see our trajectory? If I abide, I better get this in the end. If I abide, then I'll be protected from bad things. It will look like this. Abiding, if I could ever get it to where I'm actually doing those things right, more prayer, more Bible, it'll look like this. But what if abiding, truly yoking together with him, 
walking, listening, leads you on a path that you never imagined that you would be on. So remember Psalm 1611? You make known to me the path of life. I had it figured out. 20, 25. I know what the path is going to look like. Jesus says, come. Come follow me. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, right here beside me, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. But all this stuff's happening. All this stuff's hitting in our culture. All this stuff's going, he's going, you're with me. There can be fullness of joy in your presence. What if abiding truly looks like you're walking on a path? You're you're getting it right, so you're finally doing it. Now you're, you're 2023, you're spending more time in the Word, you're spending more time, but the path takes a turn. And it's going down a place that you go, I didn't think that we were going to go down this path. Kid goes through something horrible that they face. Unexplained or unexpected turn of events hit, but it's the path. Some things crater into your life, chaos hits, and you've been, but I've been abiding. I've been abiding. It wasn't supposed to turn out this way. And he says, it's the path. It's the path. More bad news, more difficulty, more hardship, but you look up. He's been walking beside you. It doesn't look like the fight that you were in before. It doesn't look like the fear that you were in before. It doesn't look like the shame, but he's, he's been there faithful. But it may be a different path than what you picture. It was supposed to go like this. If I do this, it will look like this. He says, once you surrender me, it doesn't have to look that way, but you need to be abiding. We will look like him when we abide in him. He goes on in that next section saying the same thing. Apart from me, you will do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I'm afraid that our evangelical world has thought we can do a lot of arguing and fighting and getting our way without looking like Jesus without pointing people to Jesus, without abiding in Jesus. Yes, abiding with Jesus on Sundays. Yes, on small group night. Yes, when I'm talking to my children about these Bible stories. But then when I get at my computer, when I get at my workplace, when I'm in my car driving and fuming, when, when I have that situation pop up, are we abiding? What does abiding look like for you? Is that You need some contemplation. Do you, are you taking the time? pretty regularly. It doesn't have to be the, the 5 a.m. reading the Bible from 5 to 6 a.m. and then, you know, 30 more minutes of prayer and, and weeping and, and confession and repentance. That's not necessary for everyone every day, right? But, but what does abiding look like for you? Are you a person of prayer, a par- person of the Word? Are you a prayer warrior? Are you a person uh, that, if you have that, spend that time with Him, that you're getting the heart of God to where you are concerned about the lost people around you? Even though they have crazy weird thoughts and crazy weird lifestyles and crazy weird um, theologies and crazy weird political views and crazy weird stances on life and, and, and family, that, that you have a heart for God because you're get, gaining the heart of the Father. And then that, that next section, 10 through 13, says, We will look like Him when we obey and love Him. 
So he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide. So obedience is huge. Obedience, if you're, you are a person who's trying to be careful and trying to be holy and trying to pursue it, that's not legalism. So obedience is what we want to be doing. He's pointing us to obedience here. Obedience doesn't mean legalism. Legalism is, is me going, here, I feel like obedience leads our family to do this. And you say, and, you, and their family goes, hey, I think in obedience, we're going to do this. And you go, you foul, pitiful person. Get behind. You're nothing like us. I'm keeping the rule. Legalism is us having a self-righteousness and a judgmental attitude to where we believe that what we're doing is keeping the law when we could never keep the law. But yet we're supposed to be striving for obedience. What? Through the power of the Spirit. If you're not in His Word and you're not in prayer and you're not having a heart that's softened in repentance and faith repeatedly, that's not obedience. Now, now you might be memorizing Scripture. You might be having your quiet time and checkmarking your little daily devotional and doing this, but, but it's not changing you. It's not transforming you. And so that's what he's talking about here. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And it doesn't mean this, that you can earn my love. If you keep my commandments, then you get my love. And people confuse that. They feel like, oh, man, if I do all these things, then God will love me. And it's just the opposite. No, because of God's love and what he's poured on you, because of what he's done in your life, because of his love, he has transformed you. Therefore, the result of that is that you want to keep his commandments. So the reading's tricky on that. When you abide and walk in obedience. So this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so love like this in sacrificial love for those who don't deserve it. You know, that's when you know that this is getting real. When those people that have hurt or betrayed or, or hit you in the face, and you're able to have mercy and grace and walk in that, and love them and pray for them and want the most godly thing for them, that's when it's getting real. That's abiding, because that's not just a, a scripture memory. That's not abiding. Abiding is his love changing you. Remember the yoke? You're with him. God, you were walking over there, Jesus, and I thought I was looking over there and going, that's what I should be like, and I'm trying to do it over here on my own. And he's showing you, no, 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 you can't do it on your own. Get under this yoke with me. And now, hey, Jesus, we're, we're going down this path. We're about to go by the house of those people that really, really hurt us bad. He goes, I know. I went this way on purpose. I knew it was going to happen. I told you I was sending you out as lambs among wolves, and you were going to be hurt, and I'm walking up to this house, but you've got me now. You can't forgive on your own. You can't have grace on your own. But from me, through abiding with me, it flows to them. And it's going to change you. It's going to change the people around you. That's what you need to be offering to the world around you. You said I changed you, that you understand me. I don't need a memory verse. I don't need a plaque on your wall. I don't need your church attendance. I need you flowing in mercy and sacrifice and grace. Show them what's changed you. So we will look like him when we obey him and love like him. And then we will look like him when we face adversity. He said earlier on, we started with, behold, I'm sending you out purposely, lambs among wolves. Everyone knows that doesn't go well. And he said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. I think that part of those categories, those six categories that the world looks at, I think that us, we should be going, man, he told us this is going to happen. 
He told us that these things were going to occur. And so we can pray. We can be the persistent widow. We can do what we're able to in, among our own rights. But when things bad happen, we can't start picking up and throwing rocks. We can't start hating just because they're filled with hate, even though they have a really nice smile. I see politicians on TV, and I'm just like, this is one of the most evil people. You you know their policies, the things they're doing, and they smile, and people love them, and they celebrate them, and it's it's just like demonic. And so we we pray for them. We we continue to share truth and, and gospel faithfulness to them. We will look like him, so we will face adversity. So loving and abiding in a world that that wants to destroy you. And Jesus said, I I know, I know. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. I did that purposely. And that last part in, in John 10 that I had up there, we will look like him when we listen to him. The sheep hear his voice. So these last couple of weeks when we've talked about the different voices and what's influencing us, if I'm abiding, I hear his voice. The Spirit is guiding and leading me. The fruit of the Spirit are coming out because of my abiding, being in that yoke with Him. There, there is this element of the, the fruit of that. It may not be that it's leading you on this trajectory of life where it's only, only blessing and prosperity. The sheep hear His voice. He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought all of his own out, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And then in verses 27 through 28 in John 10, my sheep, they hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Lots of voices right now, lots of voices in culture, Lots of even people that are, are, are wearing a Christian T-shirt and waving a Christian flag and saying, this, evangelicals, this is what we've got to do. We've got to have discernment. We've got to have wisdom. Um, we've got to understand listening to his voice, abiding is where we get that. Not just thinking that we can um, have our stances over here of hate and frustration and anger and living out of that and acting out of that. And the lost were going, what of Christ do you think that you're presenting? What, what of love? What of good news? What of grace? What of mercy do you think that we're hearing from you? So as, uh, Brad comes back up with the last song. Um, I want you to just take some time. So we're going to do that this week. Uh, as we sing this last song, you may just want to sit and just take some time to assess. Again, last week assessing who's influencing you, what's influencing you. Is it the Spirit? Right now, as we go into this time, I want you just to take some time. Am I abiding? Am I a person who's abiding in Christ? What's the point if we're not learning to abide, learning to walk with him, learning to show the fruit of Christ, to show a reflection of him to the world? Is it love and peace and grace that we're communicating? Or are we like those missionaries thinking that we've got all the great intentions, all the godly intentions, all the good steps. We're trying so hard to be so righteous and holy. And if these people would just change, and that's what they're hearing is just change, just change, just change. You're pitiful, just change. We try to be nice. We try to smile, but that's what they're hearing. That's what they're seeing. So again, I'm not saying that about specifically us in here, but I'm saying let's take some time to assess If I have that tendency, but am I assessing, am I abiding in Christ? 
So as we sing this song, you can stand and sing. You can sit and kneel. You can, you can pray. But I just pray, take some time. Take some time this week to consider that. What does abiding look like for you? We pray.